it's like it's almost like reverse santa claus you're leaving the toys behind and taking the kids (laughs) that's what krampus does (laughs) new option for the holidays we want to scare your kids uh tell them that fidget the bat is coming for them (laughs) he's gonna put you in his little sack and he's gonna leave toys behind and take you (laughs) yep be good kids because or else the bat will get you Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by TTRPG maestro and uh, designer of Wine Mom Summer, <laughs> Madeline Mason. Madeline, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, hello, welcome. Welcome to Sophia's show that I'm saying welcome <laughs> to for some reason now. <laughs> Old habits die hard. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you on today. And I do have to ask you the question I ask at the top of every episode to all of our guests. Um, Why did we watch The Great Mouse Detective? That's a great question, because (laughs) I don't even know why I became so fascinated with this movie. Um, I think one day I decided it was my personality. And (laughs) I've just kind of committed to it since then. Mm -hmm. But I also chose it because I think it is genuinely a very underrated children's animation film. And also because it's a relatively short movie. So it's like a very quick watch if you haven't seen it before. And um, I think it is a movie with like a lot of cool, fun facts about it, too. And a lot of lore. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, yeah, I'd never seen this movie before you requested it for the podcast. I somehow missed this as a kid, which feels like a shame because I was a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. And I'm like, this would have yeah. been right up like young Sophia's Alley. So I'm really excited to talk about it now. <laughs> I, I'm i excited, too, because I just like in the midst of my super Hulak phase in like <laughs> yonder, I would go really deep into the best adaptations of Sherlock Holmes and this was always like consistently there because I had seen the movie once when I was like a young kid and I always had like you know how they make little books based off of the Disney movies like picture books and I had one of those for (laughs) Great Mouse Detective and I think I was just fascinated by it I I think I was just fascinated by it there's something about the tiny mice that really drew me to them you know yeah they're very endearing Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of those tiny mice, why don't we jump on in with this to our, our Sherlock Holmes alike, but of course with the mice of London. Uh, we yep. open 1897 London in the dead of night as the clocks chime the hour that I missed trying to note the time of year. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> You're doing... It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. We're off to a great start. I'm mean, Sherlock Holmes wouldn't be proud of me, but that's we'll, we'll work up to that eventually. Yep. Uh, <laughs> built into... The uh, side of the street, uh, a human-sized street, is a small little mouse hole. Uh, the, the small little mouse toy shop of Flaversham's, where Flaversham and his daughter are celebrating her birthday. It's so cute. There's all I, little mouse toys everywhere. I love all the little <laughs> mouse toys so much. I, I can go into like heavy detail on the mouse society, but I always think like how small <laughs> those actual mice toys are in comparison to humans. They're so small and so delicate. I do love them though. I think some characters in this film are grating and the two of them I actually genuinely like and I think are just so sweet mm-hmm. and I love I love like a positive dad daughter relationship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's always nice to see like just a dad and a daughter getting along. 
Yeah, they have a really sweet little relationship. He's got a mm-hmm. birthday gift for her. It's this very like ornate, delicate little dancing mouse music box. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's a serene moment, very peaceful. Uh, but as she watches this with amazement and wonder, we cut outside to where a sinister laugh and peg-legged bat shadow approach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and their celebration is cut short as a villainous rustling at the door begins. Uh, her father, uh, we'll learn her name's Olivia, hides her in a cabinet as the villainous bat in question breaks in and begins to wrestle off screen with her father. Uh, Flaversham calls out to her before it all goes quiet and emerging into the now destroyed shop is Olivia, the young mouse, and she can't find her dad anywhere. Where's my father? Where'd he go? Father! She goes, <laughs> Father! Father! And then smash cut to the happiest music you've smash ever heard. Smash the <laughs> music title. No more of that shit. We're fully into exactly opening of the movie now. I love that because that's a very, like, I love, like, a BBC murder mystery show. And their format loves to start the cold open with just, like, the most grisly murder. And then it just hard cuts into the same sequence every time. And this was very reminiscent of that for me. It's... It's, I, I'm going to call it the Miss um, Marple scenario, where you yes. just have, like, the grittiest, most horrible <laughs> deeds happening, and the most, like, jolly old lady solving all of them. It's such a tonal shift, and it's it's almost like a whiplash. Yeah, for sure. Um, we get a little narration as uh, we learn that it is the eve of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, R.I.P. Uh, I... <laughs> It's, it's Queen Victoria. Sense. Don't worry about oh, okay. it. It's, it's technically Queen Maustoria, but we don't have to get into the pedantics quite yet. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would be remiss to overlook such a great na- feat of pun-based naming as Queen Maustoria. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't even think she has a real name in the lore, but mm-hmm. the like the fandom calls her Queen Maustoria. So incredible. I love that you're in on the fandom because really this movie is fresh for me. So having a seasoned veteran here is really important. (laughs) There's an official Great Mouse Detective fan website and I'm going to email it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Yes, please (laughs) check the show notes for a link. Because I'm so sad I didn't. (laughs) I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to screenshot and bookmark this page. Absolutely. Uh, So we learned through the narration it's the eve of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and that the government was on the brink of disaster that year. But before we can get too deep into those political machinations, the narrator pauses to explain uh, who he is and why he's talking to us. Uh, It was he's a mouse by the name of Dr. David Q. Dawson, recently retired from the Queen's 66th Regiment in uh, service in Afghanistan back in London looking for lodging. And if you're at all familiar with Sherlock Holmes, this is Watson. (laughs) Why are they sending mice into battle? We'll never know. <laughs> you know, they get really good at they can get they can sneak into places where a regular human can't go. Maybe yeah. nibble at some sacks of grain or things. <laughs> you know, this makes me. There is a Disney movie called Valiant. It was so bad. Yes. The company doesn't. Yes, with the pigeons <laughs> yes, in World War Two. <laughs> this that is giving deep. <laughs> but you knew exactly what I was talking about. 100%. It's. Oh my god, because they did use, tra- they might have used trade mice in World War Two, uh, or I don't know, but um, yeah, this is way before that, but <laughs> like, you're sending animals into war, why? <laughs> you don't have to. Oh, you don't have to. Um, nope. But he's he's seeking lodging, which is, uh, at, while he's wandering the streets of London, eventually walking by the sound of some sniffling coming from inside of a shoe uh, laying in an alleyway. It's Olivia, she's crying in the shoe. 
<laughs> very sad, very sniffly little kid crying. Um, <laughs> he asks if she's okay and offers her the tissue and asks, what's troubling you, little girl? What's, what's wrong? Uh, and she explains that she's trying to find Basil of Baker Street and hands him a newspaper clipping talking about a famous detective. <laughs> I'm going to be really pedantic here. It's technically Basil of Baker Street. (laughs) It's that whole British thing that they're like assholes about it. They're Mm. like, it's, it's, it's it's not, yeah, it's Basil. (laughs) It's Basil. What is it? It's not cilantro. It's coriander, you know, stuff like that. Aubergine instead of eggplant. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had a feeling it's I was saying rocket. that wrong, and I'm like, ah, we'll correct it on the podcast if it comes out. <laughs> I, I will not let that slide, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. At least one of us is on it, because I, I, usually on the show, I just let my Philly accent take me where it will, uh, but I think it's important for the sake of this story that we, we be on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so please hold me accountable. Basil. Uh, and I found this out when going through the IMDb for the movie because I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any voices in this that I would recognize from other mm-hmm. things. Uh, they do use some audio of like the 1940s Sherlock Holmes yes. uh, adaptations in the movie. And the reason that as far as I can tell that Basil is named Basil is because Basil Rathbone played Sherlock Holmes in the 40s quite famously. And the mm-hmm. recordings they use in the movie are his performances. So they're just sort of doing a little nod it's, there which i thought was it's cool such a, it's such a cute <laughs> nod and then yeah. just in case anyone else if you want they're like they're the brute mass detective is based on the basil of baker street children's books by eve titus they're actually really Ooh. delightful as someone who is a connoisseur of a lot of children's media it's one of the it's a children's book but it's delightful and that you know it's tiny mice you know solving mysteries and it's like they're very intense children's books so good on eve titus for that but they are um this the movie has like no correlation it's it's not adapted from one it's just like the name in its entirety and the characters but if you want to dive deeper into the lore pick up basil of baker street at your local bookstore Awesome. We love an adaptation. Mm -hmm. Um, Olivia wants Basil to help her find her parents, her father specifically, and she's like, I don't know anything about him uh, or where to find him. I got lost. I was looking for Baker Street. Uh, And of course, our our dear doctor offers to help her as he doesn't know anything about this Basil chap, but he does know where Baker Street is. So they head off into the night uh, as violin music kicks up. And we see the human shadow of a man playing violin in his study uh, that we then pan down to the, of course, Mouse Hole in the, you know, Baker Street building that uh, Holmes is famously residing in and and where it is only appropriate that uh, the great mouse detective also resides. (laughs) It's, 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 I like it. I like his little hole. It's, it's that TikTok sound. I want to go to there. Yes. It's, (laughs) it looks so cozy and so warm and. I, I, I love his little mouse hole so much. I've said before on this podcast that I want my house to someday look like Sherlock Holmes' study. I would be happy settling for looking like uh, Basil the Great Mouse Detective's I know. study. It's one of those too. miniatures. Shrink yes. ourselves down. Become tiny. <laughs> live in a little miniature dollhouse like that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Uh, a housekeeper opens the door of Basil's, who invites, of course, the doctor and Olivia in. Uh, Olivia having already invited herself in and getting very comfy in one of the big chairs by the fire that just looks so cozy. Um, she offers them tea and crumpets, and as the kettle boils, they watch a complex Rube Goldberg-like machine run throughout the study and do the tasks like smoking the pipe and boiling the kettle. It's all very whimsical and quite brilliant. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when suddenly, bursting through the door uh, in a costume that is very much from the <laughs> 1980s. <laughs> it's so of its time. And there's yeah. actually um, one thing that's really interesting about just Sherlock Holmes in particular is mm-hmm. its use of Orientalism. Um, Sherlock Holmes has a really, really nasty history of how it portrays people just mm-hmm. in Asia. In general, yeah. it's really, really nasty, really gritty. And The Great Mouse Detective is not like, it is not free from that. It's no. this horrible kind of like way of representing, not representing, <laughs> that's like how Moira <laughs> Rose would say it. Um, this representation, it's just, it follows it and Sherlock Holmes can't quite shake it. Yeah, no, uh, busting through the door in a rather uh, insulting uh, Chinese quote unquote costume is mm-hmm. uh, Basil. Luckily, that I think this is a, the only moment in the Grace Mountain Detective yeah. that I think it really comes up, but it is still important to, to acknowledge. Like, yeah. this is not okay. It's um, of its time, not okay, and it's an issue. <laughs> yes, luckily he quickly mm-hmm. changes out of said uh, insulting attire and into his dressing robe, uh, ignoring Olive as she tries to ask for his help as Basil just rushes around his apartment, setting to all sorts of things, uh, preparing to do an experiment of some kind. The doctor is confused as to how Basil knows all about him and his history of his service and his time and what he's there for. And we get the little rundown of when Holmes first meets Watson, or in this case, when Basil first meets the good doctor, uh, putting down the the clues and doing everything short of saying elementary, Mm -hmm. my dear Dawson. (laughs) You know, they really lay it out for you. (laughs) That's what's great about a kid's movie. They just jump to it. Oh, yeah. it is not subtle, and that's why I appreciate it. It's nice. It's it's one of those things where, like, as a fan of, like, the Sherlock Holmes stories, I kind of love it when you can just point to something and be like, ah, they're doing the thing that I know about. It's that sort of, like, pointing at the screen being like, I know that. It's a yeah, little weird the, impulse. That's something yeah, Leo, Leo pointing. Leo. <laughs> <The> Leo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And I think, it's, I think they do a pretty good job of not... Uh, constantly doing that in this movie mm-hmm. is to sort of sprinkle in occasionally like you know little lines yeah. where you're like oh i know what their source material yeah. might be mm-hmm. but they're still doing their own little spin on it and adaptation it's nice uh, balance as he goes about his summation of dawson's whole deal uh he lines up his experiment shooting a pillow and uh to the distress of the housekeeper who is named miss judson instead of miss hudson for adaptation purposes <laughs> <laughs> He uh, begins his investigation of the lines in the bullet, hoping to match it with one from the crime he was just investigating. uh, But unfortunately, it's a dead end. And he his mood quickly turns from one of fervent scientific research into just dismay as he collapses in his chair and starts softly and sadly playing violin, uh, much like the man upstairs was doing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't mean to be like a Disney adult, but I'm going to be it. So that shot with the um, bullet is one of the first uses of 3D animation Ooh. and 2D animation. That shot of the bullet is entirely 3D animation. So this Ooh. movie actually uses it uh, quite a few times. The bullet is the first one. And then at the end, um, I won't spoil the ending, but at the end, um, it's also <laughs> we'll get used there. as well. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> We'll get there. Don't worry. Do a lot of reassuring the audience of the show that we will eventually get to the end of the movie. I promise it's it's coming. We're we're going to progress through the have plot. I know that's the whole myself. reason we're here. <laughs> I have to stop interjecting all of my knowledge. 
<laughs> no, please. We would have no show if the guests didn't interject. Audience, I promise we'll get to the end, but there's going to be some diversions along the way. Okay, okay. Phew, phew. <laughs> phew, thank God. Never fear. Um, Olivia tries now once more to plead her case, asking for Basil's help, but he's still down in the dumps until she reveals that she uh, doesn't have a mother, and that sort of tugs at his heartstrings a little. (laughs) I love that he's like, it's, he's such a softy, he tries to be so mean, Mm -hmm. Basil, he tries to be so kind of like cold and like shrewd, but he's such a big softy on the inside, like he genuinely wants to help people. It's it's so endearing, and I love it. Yeah, I really like his and uh, Olivia's little relationship that kind of grows throughout the movie, because, you know, at first he's sort of brushing her off, even though she's like this cute child character that everyone around him wants to help. And by the mm-hmm. end, you know, they've, they've, they've come a long way. But there's little moments like this early on where are like, oh, he, he cares about her. He wants to help the kid exactly. out. It's cute. He's not like a total Exactly. <laughs> uh She reveals that her father was taken by a bat with a peg leg, and that piques uh, Basil's interest as the bat is an employee of his nemesis, Professor Radigan, an evil Nemesis or (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Ooh, the drama, the tea. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I I think there's something... They obviously have a very special relationship Mm -hmm. if they have a mantle, like a a, a framed photo of each other on like the (laughs) mantle of their fireplace. Like there, I, I you no, mentioned this yeah. before the podcast. I'm all in on you with you on this ex boyfriends theory. I think that this the threads make sense. It does. <laughs> it does. Like um, I'm, um, Lindsay Ellis talks about the Great Mouse Detective a lot as well, and also brings up how they're both just bitter exes, and they're just so <laughs> they just hate each other. Oh, um, yeah. Like, and there's always going to be an element of like homoeroticism in Sherlock Holmes, and mm-hmm. it's always going to be you know, brought to the forefront. But I like this because um, I I like the adaptations where, like, the Sherlock-Moriarty relationship is, like, really strong and really sexy. Mm -hmm. Like, I really like those. So um, that's also why I like this movie because it's just, I love... I love a good guy, bad guy relationship, yeah. you know? You love I, an enemies to lovers, or in this case, a lovers to enemies. It's just, it's exactly. the same thing with, like, my favorite relationship to play with a friend in D&D is, like, bitter divorcees, because it's just so fun to be someone's ex in fiction. It, the, the repertoire is it's, just wonderful. <laughs> it's great. Plus, it's fun to be mean to someone with no consequences. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> as long as everyone knows you're joking, or in this case, you know, your nemeses yeah. and crime and detectiving exactly. crime solving i know Ambiguous. mrs mrs jensen knows what's going on she oh, knows yeah. she knows all the tea and i you would know like... you want to sit down with her and have some tea and crumpets and like go over their whole sordid history <laughs> she has been there for this mouse since the very beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i love it i also they because they're talking about radigan and going mm-hmm. through his various titles evil genius etc and the yeah. one that they used that stood out to me was the napoleon of crime and my fr- i know i know it's because it's a reference to moriarty but the first thing that popped in my head is Ew, oh like mccavity <laughs> yeah because mccavity is the same thing as moriarty um exactly. it's so <laughs> hey i do also want you to know what if i told you <laughs> i i know a lot about the musical cats so what if i told you that 
<laughs> and like I call it jellical brain rot. Where just a very specific portion of my brain is dedicated to the lore of cats. <laughs> there is a secret show inside the show of cats and that secret show explains all the relationships that the characters have with Mm -hmm. each other and like some of these cats are like how am i allowed to like swear am i allowed to yeah go to if i I let's say fuck some of these cats are fucking (laughs) mccavity and they're spies for (laughs) mccavity and the fan fiction also goes really deep into this but yeah there's a lot of lore on stage there's also some like dark stuff like like when you dig into the lore of cats, you learn why why we don't like McCavity in the musical. It's just kind of like, oh, he's spooky. Um, but yeah, it the lore of cats really digs into who McCavity is, why is he a bad person, and also the Grizabella McCavity lore because Grizabella mm-hmm. McCavity are really. Anyways, that's an entirely different movie. Period. But yes, <laughs> it, oh. just letting you know. I I love I love talking about cats we did an episode as a patron bonus of cats and if you're not a patron and you want to check it out that's available now on patreon uh mm-hmm. <laughs> so i can't talk about it too much here but you and me we had the offline about this <laughs> i i uh, yeah. could listen to the cat store lore for days but to, <laughs> to bring us back into the great mouse detective <laughs> yeah. uh, we're talking about radigan basil's nemesis ex-boyfriend ambiguous who has always evaded his grasp and as basil sort of speaks of radigan's many schemes we go to radigan's lair where he's uh sort of watching this robot butler thing attempt to pour some tea and it's all jittery and crazy as a flavisham who's been constructing it for him is fine-tuning this device getting it ready for the following evening what could they be planning or what could radigan be planning really because flavisham's just a kidnapped toy maker against his will. He's stressed. (laughs) Radigan tries to intimidate Flavisham into finishing the project, but Flavisham's too noble and he doesn't want to do any more evil. Uh, He plans to sabotage the machine because he just won't be a part of this any longer. But Radigan threatens him by saying he'll bring his daughter to the lair and hurt her instead, uh, destroying the toy that Flavisham had made for her earlier in the movie and sending Flavisham back to work. How dare he? (laughs) Devious behavior. Yes. (laughs) Radigan wakes up Fidget the Bat on his way over to a different barrel. I like the way his lair is set up because it's kind of just all these like kegs in the sewer that each of them is a different outpost, essentially. (laughs) I. It's so nice because like what I really love is that it's very clear that in the production design that there is like lore mm-hmm. here in this kind of tiny mouse society and the way that they utilize <laughs> all of the human stuff and the little barrels mm-hmm. are so clever and I love it. It's cute. It's one of those, I like a movie where like when you look at the background, you kind of get the story out of it. Like there's mm-hmm. something interesting going on there and you can kind of gleam little bits about how this world works just from the way that the, in this case, the set is drawn, but yeah. I think they do a good job of it here. And the first place I like mm-hmm. clocked it in this movie specifically, it was like, Oh, uh, Radigan's lair is is very emblematic of that Um, Mm -hmm. but he wakes up Fidget the Bat giving him a list of stuff to get and sending him off to fetch tools, gears, girl, uniforms (laughs) (laughs) those four things in that order Uh, and we enter Radigan's fancier barrel where he begins to give a speech to his cronies about their upcoming scheme for the following evening they're going to crash the Mouse Queen's Diamond Jubilee and uh, somehow take her out and he'll be the new ruler of Mousedom. Uh, and we're going to go into our first song of the movie. <laughs> this, I love this song. I think it's so, it's so campy. It's, mm-hmm. 
the way um the way it's staged is remind me of like a, it reminds me of a drag number almost yes. too <laughs> it's it's so dramatic it's so campy it's there's definitely a lot of influences here that you can tell and vincent price is such a good casting choice for this character because he understands like who this kind of campy, silly, scary villain is. And he's Mm -hmm. able to be just charming and silly and almost laughable. And then he can be like really, really scary at the turn of a dime. And I think this song just really shows how great Vincent Price is as a a performer. Yeah, it's and it's pretty catchy because I... Mm -hmm. there's a refrain in it, oh, Radigan, oh, Radigan. And <laughs> that was stuck in my head for most of the rest of the movie. So it is, it's a fun listen, too. And it goes on a little longer mm-hmm. than I thought it was going to. So it really it kept, does. kept going. It does. Um, Don't listen too closely to the words because they have done horrible <laughs> things. <laughs> no, they're mostly horrible. singing about his how villainous he is and how, how mm-hmm. he schemes and how he's so smart and all of his schemes and things. That's the gist of the song. Um, yeah. There's a little harp solo where he talks about his sad uh, backstory with Basil, which was a very old exes. <laughs> Once again, bitter exes. <laughs> oh, how he hounds me. <laughs> it's like, it's so, I, I, in my head, they had a really intense three-day relationship and a horrible <laughs> six-week-long breakup. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. I'm stuck on lesbian breakup TikTok drama. And so because I'm stuck on that and that being like the most fresh thing in my head, that's like all I can think about. Like having a whirlwind romance with someone then having the worst breakup ever (laughs) where you two just villainize each other. If they existed and in a world where TikTok also existed, I do think that their breakup would be like the drama of the week, you know? It would. It would. Oh my God. This little scrawny rat boy and this like big buff oh, yeah. rat boy in their breakup. People oh. would be making like little recap videos reacting every time they posted an update. Like we, it's the full system. Oh, great. <laughs> but his song comes to a crashing halt at one point before picking back up again when one of his minions refers to him as a rat. Uh, as part of the refrain, and they don't mean it. This guy's a little, little, you know, lost in the sauce in this moment. He landed in a pool full of uh, rat uh, or mouse. They have a word for it yeah. later on. Um, it's 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 champagne. Champagne, it's, basically, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 I guess closer to sparkling rosé because it's pink, but it's mm-hmm. you know it, it's cool. Yeah. It's a sparkling a alcohol. Tipsy. Yeah. <laughs> he refers to his boss as a rat at the end of a sentence. Uh, at which point all the music stops and Radigan, quite worked up by this, insists that he is not, he's a mouse, and kicks the minion in question, Bartholomew, out in his drunken stupor of the barrel, and he rings a little bell, which summons a huge, shadowy, very fluffy, lumbering uh, cat, <laughs> Felicia, who eats Bartholomew in shadow, because this is a Disney movie and they're not going to show anyone immediately dying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she swallows him whole. She Hold. swallows him whole. <laughs> he is gone. That ca- that mouse has gotten eaten, and this establishes what the bell summons. Of course, mm-hmm. this cat. Exactly. Uh, it also establishes he has a cat. He so, has a cat because he pets yeah. Felicia afterwards. He's like, oh, good cat. It's like, how did this? Ha- I need to know so much about like how this relationship started. How did you I come know. to have trained this cat? Where did this cat come from? It's got a little bow, so clearly someone is like brushing it. Yeah. 
Someone's missing their cat. Someone's cat is missing in London. It could be anywhere. It could be. Well, I know where it is. It's at the docks of London outside a giant barrel. But uh, (laughs) it's it's clearly obviously like a domesticated cat. Mm -hmm. And she's like, the way he talks to her is also how I talk to my cat. So I I find him very relatable in that way. Um, I also, in my head, Radigan's a Virgo and Basil's a Capricorn, but also, like, that's pedantics. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Yeah, but that's part of the she's... breakup drama, of course. Like, that would be all over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, he's um, this giant, just fluffy, beautiful thing. Definitely, like, mm-hmm. an upper-class cat. <laughs> yes. An upper-class cat for a villainous rat. Uh, but we, their song continues eventually, Thunderclap. We go back to Basil's, who is most intrigued by Olivia's case. Um, he ponders what Radigan might want with a toy maker. And uh, as he's pacing the room, deducing Olivia's falling behind him when a flash of lightning illuminates a window where Fidget the Bat is like crouched up against it. Jump scare! <laughs> Olivia screams and Basil and the doctor rush outside to see if they can catch him. And although they miss the bat, they do find, uh, I think it was like a hat or something he was wearing on the the ground. Uh, And with that clue, Basil's like, the hunt is on or the game is afoot is what I was saying. The game's afoot, Dawson. Yeah. Uh, he rushes inside and switches from his robe into his coat using the finest in clock closet technology, which I loved. (laughs) Um, and he's like, we're going to follow the bat until he leads us to Olivia's father. Um, Basil's like, doctor, come with me. And they try to leave Olivia behind. But of course, in her little childish scamp way, she manages to tag along. Um, <laughs> there's a, as she's they're having so this argument cute. about she can come or not. I, <laughs> she's so Why cute. are they so mean to her? She's so precious. <laughs> it is a dangerous trip for a child to be going on. But I don't know if she's much safer without them. So really, it's a wash. Um, yeah. There's a little, like, gag they're doing while she's arguing if she can come along where she nearly breaks his violin and then in the process of saving it, Basil sits on it, uh, which really irritates him quite a bit. (laughs) And he can never get her last name right. It's always, it's never Flavershim. It's never Flavershim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But eventually the crew sets off and they go upstairs to the study of the real Sherlock Holmes, where Holmes and Watson are arguing in shadow about German music until they eventually exit the study. A little near miss with the the inspiration for this story. Um, And the mice enter in search of Toby, who is a basset hound. Sweet, sweet Toby. (laughs) I I have one of those lounge fly backpacks and it's Toby Mm -hmm. with these giant fluffy ears. I, I, it's, you know, it's that whole like Disney dog thing. All the dogs are just so flippin' cute. They're so precious. I love this little guy. Um, I, I also just basset hounds are like up there in dog breeds. I just think are so adorable. So I love this little guy and I do wish he got more screen time, but I understand why not. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fit into a lot of the mouse areas, unfortunately. Yes, so he does get big. left outside a bit. <laughs> he's just too big. Uh, cause he's do- regular dog size. Like the scale mm-hmm. of this movie is consistent with what you're expecting from the real world. More yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He has an excellent sense of smell and will serve them well in their hunt for Olivia's father. Uh, and Olivia kind of bonds with Toby really quickly. She gives him a crumpet and like rubs his belly and everything. And she's like, oh, we're good buddies now. <laughs> so oh, cute. and she, she, uh, Basil can't tell. He's like, sit, Toby. And he, Toby's not listening. And then Olivia goes, sit, Toby. And then Toby's like, okay. <laughs> and Basil's like, 
That's my dog, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, how dare you? Yes. <laughs> uh, but Basil has Toby sniff the hat left behind by the bat, and now that he's got the scent, they're on the chase, and they all head out into the streets. Toby, sick him, and run through the streets of London on the on the tra- tra- trail of this bat. Words. <laughs> They make it to a closed human-sized toy store uh, where inside Fidget is collecting his gears, tools, and uniforms. And as he checks his list, noting that he's missing the girl, uh, Toby howls from outside and he runs and hides. <laughs> the mice disembark and there's a nice little moment of like, oh, we get to do watch Basil do some detective work as he uh, finds the entrance that Fidget's been mm-hmm. using to get into the shop. A little piece of glass with a hole in the middle, a tiny little hole in the middle uh, that you so use your finger satisfying. to open. <laughs> It's so satisfying how, like, it, it's a perfect circle and it perfectly follows through. I love it. Oh, perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's just, I love it. And it hinges out just right. Just, oh. It reminds me of the little, in Cinderella, how the mice, they have the little doors in yeah. the perfect little circular doors. I I love it. It's, it's aesthetically pleasing. That's yeah. what it is. The Lord of the Rings primed me to be, like, really into circular doors. So I was like, yes, this is great. Give me more of it. <laughs> Um, the mice set about investigating the toy shop with its many scary human-sized toys that are all shown from like a very like low-angle forced perspective, looking very ominous and spooky, um, and very quiet and stealthy until Olivia sets off a music box, spooking the other two and prompting Basil to order the doctor to keep an eye on the girl. <laughs> Excuse me. As they cross a chessboard, I liked it a little moment where they had Basil move uh, one of the pieces into checkmate. I was just like, yes, that's the kind of good, good. It's, it's so like, because that's kind of who Sherlock Holmes is. He's at, mm-hmm. at his core, one of the things that he is is like, I have to be right. And yeah. if I'm not right, I will die. And I just love those little details of like moving the chess so it's correct. Mm-hmm. Just for that, I will die right. I will die correct. <laughs> I have to be the smartest person in the room. And exactly, I need yeah. to be proving that at all times. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they follow the footprints, uh, one foot, one peg leg of the bat, uh, and they into a set of what are supposed to be uniformed toy guards, uh, but all of them are missing their uniforms. Remember from the list? Uniforms? Where do you think mm-hmm. you got them from? <laughs> they note several gears missing from several toys. <gasps> Where could they be? Who could have taken them? Gears also on the list. <laughs> and eventually, uh, uh, not Watson, uh, the doctor picks up the list that Fidget, Dawson, the doctor picks up the list that Fidget was using, uh, having nabbed further proof of the crimes that were committed. As Basil uh, tries to put all the pieces together, uh, all of the toys start going off at once, and a trail of bubbles leads Olivia away from the other two mice and to a bassinet toy, inside of which, primed for a jump scare, is Fidget. This scene is actually, I think, genuinely very scary. I think mm-hmm. it has such great buildup to that oh, yeah. like jump scare, and it's it's terrifying <laughs> the way he comes at the camera. Yeah. Oh my god. Like I knew when we approached the bassinet, I'm like, okay, Sophia, you've seen horror movies before, you know what's coming. That bat is in that bassinet. You know he's in that bassinet. You know she's gonna open that, turn it around, we're gonna like go over to the camera. And I still wasn't ready for it. <laughs> it's uh and then you have the the bubbles and the music, you know, and that mm-hmm. and if you're a horror movie person, you're like, No, not the music. Bad <laughs> things are gonna happen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 
scary. Uh, but Fidget throws her into a sack and rushes off as Basil and the Doctor try to give chase, but they're under attack from various toys and wind-up gizmos, and it's all very creative in the ways that they must escape this toy shop. It's yeah. a great set piece if you're going to have like a small-scale creature... Uh, <laughs> action scene toy shop is a great mm-hmm. option for that. Yeah, they're all about the same height as everything around them. Yeah, uh, Fidget goes to use his usual escape route through the glass door, but the way is blocked by Toby the dog. So instead, he makes for a skylight as he and Basil race up a stack of blocks to the to the roof. Uh, Fidget escapes, and at the last second, uh, Basil falls back down as the block tower crumbles into the <sighs> shop. Olivia has been stolen by the bat. No. Uh, no. It's like, it's almost like reverse Santa Claus. You're leaving yeah. the toys behind and taking the kids. That's what Krampus does. But. <laughs> New option for the holidays. We want to scare your kids. Uh, tell them that Fidget the Bat is coming for them. <laughs> he's going to put you in his little sack and he's going to leave toys behind and take you. <laughs> yep. Be good, kids. Because or else the bat will get you. A much more effective method than telling them they'll get coal, frankly. Um, yep. The doctor retrieves Basil from the string he's been tied up in uh, as he rants and raves about Olivia's fate. Uh, but seeing how upset Dawson is getting and how much she's like, oh, I should have kept a closer eye on the girl. Basil softens a bit, changes his tune, and assures the doctor that they'll get her back. Oh, they're, they have the budding relation. They're going to be good buddies. Maybe more. I don't know. <laughs> Reading into the subtext. The Sherlock Holmes subtext that is often there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I remember Tumblr in 2010. And they were roommates. (laughs) Oh my god, they were roommates. (laughs) Uh, Basil puffs away on his pipe and thinks, marching about in a way. I just love the little animation of him marching, like, in and out of frame around Mm -hmm. Dawson. It's a very, like, intentional footfall. He's a man on a mission kind of march. (laughs) It's great. It's just. I. It's, they just don't make movies like those kind of like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I don't know, like I, um, I love rewatching like older animated movies and this one isn't even that old. I think it came mm-hmm. out in, like 1984, but still like you're not going to see anything like this. There's just so much like care and not that movies today aren't, they don't have care into them, mm-hmm. but when you can see the lines and when you can see like the drawings and the shading it's like you can actually see like the amount of time people took to make this kind of stuff yeah i think that's something that you sort of lose when you jump from 2d to 3d animation too like i think 3d can be like really beautiful and carefully made but Mm -hmm. there is something like very tangible about 2d animation that is hard to recreate um and you get a lot of that here of like oh you can kind of tell like each of the frames is very intentionally mm-hmm. chosen and like you said there's a lot of just like care and attention put into it uh and it is something yeah. that you don't get quite as often anymore or at least it's yeah. not as easily visible anymore yeah. uh, and I, it is kind of nice when you go back to older animation even mm-hmm. 1980s animation as in yeah. this case because like all that stuff is hand drawn it's it's amazing mm-hmm. amazing amazing definitely um but as as basil is strutting about the doctor reads the list that they found earlier and with that epiphany uh basil rushes them back to baker street they're back on the trail um meanwhile radigan reveals olivia to her father they have a little tearful reunion it's very sweet 
uh, until he pulls her away from her dad and threatens Flaversham to ensure that there are no further delays. And then he seals Olivia in a glass bottle, which is like a, you know, Coke bottle or something laying around. Yeah, <laughs> a I, cork. I, I always wine thought bottle. it was like a wine bottle. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's, she has like, she can't get in all the way. So she has like a Winnie the Pooh moment where <laughs> she's like, it's like, she just does not fit in this like, you know, the neck of a bottle is very, very slender. So they have mm-hmm. to like physically push her in, which I always <laughs> think is so funny. Cause of course, like this, like adorable, like little seven year old, like no one could, my finger barely fits into a wine bottle sometimes. It's, yeah. it's so cute and so funny. <laughs> it's adorable. Uh, as after she's sealed away, Fidget assures Radigan that he got everything on the list, except, of course, the list, which is notably missing from his pocket. Uh, he explains what happened through, like, kind of like half charades, half talking. Uh, but Radigan catches the most important piece of information, which is that Basil is on the case. Uh, and that makes him quite upset. <laughs> he pretends so... to be chill. <laughs> so... He has a totally normal human reaction. <laughs> Yeah, he pretends he's, like, cool with it, and he, you know, puts an arm around his his bat friend and rounds the corner, where we hear the tingle of the bell that summons Felicia, and uh, Fidget struggles against the cat to avoid being eaten until eventually Mm -hmm. Radigan, who's gaming out, you know, the situation, changes his tune, has an idea, and orders Fidget released. Uh, He's he's on to Basil's counter scheme. (laughs) Exactly. He knows knows his M.O. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, At Baker Street, Basil inspects the list, finding uh, different kinds of clues on it. And I I love this scene. I think it's super fun. Uh, He's doing a very, like, scientific analysis of the sheet of paper, Mm -hmm. the type of ink used to kind of deduce from it where it could have been written. Uh, It's such Sherlock Holmes stuff. It's so good. (laughs) It's it's one of my favorite sequences in the movie. And I always loved the Sherlock Holmes stuff because, like, I do think some of it is like a little bit of BS because like mm-hmm. there are a lot of places in the world where, um, you know, but of course when your crimes are central to London, you know, I guess that makes your life 10 times easier, but it's such a good scene and like a perfect callback to the Sherlock Holmes, like deduction and observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think anytime too, you're making like a, this, this movie's about like an hour and 10 minutes long or so, mm-hmm. give or take. Uh, when you're making like a quick kids movie with like a rather tight story, you don't get a lot of chances to like let someone linger and mm-hmm. solve a mystery. So having scenes like this in where he does get to do some very like classic Holmesian deduction, I think does go a long way towards like reinforcing the source material they're drawing from uh, and without kind of bogging down the movie too much because we don't spend too long on it necessarily. We still get to mm-hmm. get back to the action, get back to the story. We get that little hint, a little taste of uh, the Holmes deduction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but he determines uh, through an examination of the ink, the ash left on it, and eventually the uh, reaction that the paper has when just burned up and mixed with various chemicals, that it's from a riverfront area, as the reaction reveals that it was near saltwater, and that it also came from a seedy pub. So going to the map, he knows that there's only one seedy pub where the sewer connects to the waterfront and they make for there. <laughs> they have a little costume change. It's yes, yes. <laughs> Dawson has a Winnie the Pooh moment. His shirt cannot go over he his can't. stomach and he's very self-conscious and Basil's like, you look great, shut up. He looked like 
very much like like Mr. Smee from Peter Pan. Yes, yes, <laughs> it, with the bandana and the striped mm-hmm. shirt. It's a it, it feels like a callback, but I, I don't I, I don't want to assume anything, but it feels like a callback and I, I like it. So why not? Yeah. I think yeah. it's a nice. They had a little yeah. shot in the toy store where there was something that was definitely Dumbo exactly. too. It's like there's little oh, little yeah. nods, but none of them feel mm-hmm. super intrusive. It's kind of like a fun Easter egg. Yeah, um, it's like yeah. for me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Basil and the Doctor now in disguise as uh, sailors and/or pirates enter the pub <laughs> where there's an octopus on stage juggling, which feels like cheating because you've got eight legs. <laughs> That's not really the point of the scene, but it is. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> This is, this is cheating. You could have a ball in every arm and it would be fine. There are uh, many eyes on them as they grab a table, the octopus finishing its act and getting booed off stage and having tomatoes thr- thrown at it very dramatically. Someone calls him an eight-legged bum, which I think is... Which feels so pointed and mean. One of my favorite things in all of, like, movie dumb is what kids animation does to to show like a cd bar right because there's there's so much of a line you can go up to and i think this movie gets farther than most with it of like can you show alcohol being served like Mm -hmm. how dangerous do you want the patrons to seem can you show them actively threatening the main characters or do they just have to sort of look menacing Uh, and i think this is one of my favorite (laughs) ones because especially just with this like octopus and with the piano accompaniment who is so clearly afraid of everyone else in that bar the whole time <laughs> it's so great and the octopus is so it's so like what because we have to see mice up to this point <laughs> we've just seen mice and no one else so it's kind of like where did you come from yeah. bud are you lost and you can survive on land for this long <laughs> apparently maybe it's a mouse in an octopus suit Maybe. I guess that would explain why the juggling was so impressive, but didn't. <laughs> or not, seeing as it didn't go over that great with the patrons of the bar. No one liked it. No one liked it. No one was having a good time. Uh, Basil keeps kind of trying to get uh, Dawson to stay in character uh, and orders two pints for him and his buddy and asks the waitress if she's ever heard of an old friend of his by the name of Radigan, which prompts some frightened looks from her and other patrons of the bar. Uh. <laughs> this waitress, by the way, also has the biggest amount of cleavage I have ever seen yes. on an animated character. <laughs> Very large uh, tits coming from this mouse movie. <laughs> this movie's about to have a few more mouse tits in a second, so, you know. Um, but it's so, like, it's so jarring, because I was like, the 80s are kind of a lawless land, yeah. so I'm Every time I watch this scene, I'm like, they did that? There's they did like, that? There's a period of movie making right after, like, the Hayes Code sort of was, like, dying down. And when we uh-huh. before we get into, like, the new wave of, like, everything's got to be appropriate for the children that we sort of hit in, like, the early 2000s. Where it's, like, mm-hmm. you just got to get, like, this really lawless time. Like, the 80s were the pinnacle of it. And you can see that a lot in this movie. Uh, this scene in particular is what I would point to <laughs> if you want to see that on display for a number of reasons. Um... Not the least of which the new act that starts up after they have this little exchange where a a soft music picks up and a rat lady starts or a mouse lady starts singing on stage, getting uh, jauntier and jauntier and also raunchier and raunchier as she slowly loses layers of costumes and gains can-can backup dancers. It's so, um, because I'm also putting this in context for the era, Mm -hmm. like 
if this is a if like show like a victorian man scene from the great mouse detective he'd be like that woman is being so indecent <laughs> she might as well be naked um my I'm favorite fine. part in the song she says hey fellas i'll take off all my blues and she's wearing blue clothing i think that's actually very <laughs> funny and very smart Ooh, she, we also get a lot of mouse side boob yes. in this song <laughs> She is unnecessarily, like, hot. The song could have been cut, but they kept it. <laughs> yeah. This it's is really, a like, a flavor scene. song, too. Like, there's... I thought at first, because you see this character, where you're like, oh, she looks important. Maybe this is going to be, like, a character who joins them for the rest of the adventure. No, she's just here to do this one number. <laughs> it's... It's... Part of me... Like, it could have been cut. It could have been cut, and you, you, you would have lost nothing from the story, but no, they decided to power forth so we could have mouse side boob, you know? I guess it's it's what the audience deserved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I watched this, and if you look on video, the comments are always about, like, people realizing that they were a furry when they watched this scene, and I'm like, <laughs> that's why everyone likes this scene so much. Huh. huh. Interesting. That explains it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, but as she does her number, uh, the doc is all in into watching, but uh, Basil's keeping an eye on the waitress who's over at the bar drugging their drinks. Um, <laughs> and they, she brings it over to the table, and before Basil can warn the good doctor not to drink it, he's chugged it all. Uh, <laughs> which is when Basil spots Fidget the bat walk in, his peg leg on wood, making quite the sound. Uh, but before he can, you know, get the doctor to go confront the bat, uh, he spots Dawson up on stage dancing with the can-can girl. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's so funny. It makes no sense, and I love it. <laughs> it's a fun scene. He falls off stage and eventually uh, inadvertently starts a bar fight by, like, Landing on the piano, the pianist gets mad, goes to turn and attack him, some other guy gets hit instead, and now it's an all-out brawl. Your classic comedy of errors leading into a bar fight. Uh, and in the confusion, someone shoots out a light, Basil rouses Dawson, and they give chase to Fidget through a trapdoor behind the bar, and they watch as he crawls through a pipe, heading towards Radigan's secret lair. Uh, <laughs> We're getting real close, baby. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. They emerged outside of the various barrels that make up his secret lair, and they spot Olivia in her bottle. But as they get closer <gasps> and tap on the glass, that's not Olivia. It's Fidget in her coat and hat. In <laughs> scarf, and he gives him a little kiss. <laughs> yep. They walked right into Radigan's trap. He confronts them. They drop a banner. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Like, I don't want to make assumptions, but it's the gayest shit I've ever seen. It's so... This is the drama I expect from their like, breakup. It's... it's. Imagine if you and your partner broke up and they, mm -hmm. like, forgot their shit and they came back to your place to get it, like, on their own time. But you caught wind that they were coming back, so you took the time to, to make, make a banner. A banner. <laughs> to make a banner to get all of your friends around for a dramatic reveal. Because they're all like, you dress a buddy up as their stuff, put, <laughs> put them where their stuff is, wait for them to realize it's not their stuff, or in this case, it's not Olivia, and then you jump out for the dramatic reveal. Like, that is a level of uh, theatrical effort. <laughs> 
immediately no followed straight person by, like, has the, the effort cattiest. to do that <laughs> yes no because it's followed by the cattiest back and forth of like oh radigan oh basily scoundrel where they just sort of like insult each other for a minute <laughs> i it's it, it feels very private like i'm not gonna lie if i was yes. one of radigan's henchmen i'd be like <laughs> Do you guys like want a moment alone? Do you guys like need to work something out? Because I feel really uncomfortable with all of this happening right now. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Because like, because I don't want to, you know, like assume anything. But I also know for a fact, no straight person will ever put in that amount of like effort slash theatricality into anything. (laughs) So, (laughs) if it ain't straight, then what is it? You know. You know, it's up to uh, audience interpretation, but I think we both know where we're landing on this particular one. If Uh, you're a theatrical gay person, you're going to love this movie. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Radigan and his croonies all laugh at Basil, and finally the the great mouse detective looks defeated for the first time all movie, uh, and... Radigan and his cronies take the two detectives uh, and tie them to a mouse trap as he explains how he couldn't decide which method of execution he wanted to use, so he has found a way to use all of them. <laughs> He's made this sort of Rube Goldberg machine of doom. It's like a record player tied with a string tied to it that pulls a iron ball in a cup that when falling to the bottom triggers the mouse trap, which triggers like all these other great devices and things that'll all hit land on them and it's just so extra. <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's very much like just at, at the at this point, I think the both of you just need to get a room and talk shit out mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Like this isn't healthy. <laughs> this isn't healthy. Like I like I think it's healthy to have like an arch nemesis, but when mm-hmm. you think about them this much, yeah. like you have to ask yourself some questions when like this much of your life is consumed by your arch nemesis, you know? Like having a rival can be fun, but you do have mm-hmm. to keep healthy boundaries between like rival and lover, and there's just certain lines that get blurred here that I don't know. Exactly. Poor <laughs> Dawson who is just Poor like Dawson who just <laughs> showed up on the scene. He's not up to date on the, the drama. He hasn't gotten the full rundown yet. I know. <laughs> and my favorite part is cuz I say all the music in this movie is diegetic Mm -hmm. um but because then all the stuff is attached to the record that's a vincent price song and i'm like this bitch took the time (laughs) to write record orchestrate a song he got a record printed of his revenge song to (laughs) to use in this scenario you know i'm gonna say taylor swift could never do this this is a label never she aspires to what radigan walked so taylor swift could run exactly exactly but it's it's so over the top and so i don't know i think if you kiss it might solve a lot of these issues (laughs) maybe you don't need to like take over the queen's job if you would just deal with your ex in a healthier manner i don't know exactly Um, but Radigan, collecting Faversham's uh, work, congratulates him on a job well done, and sends his goons off uh, to 
in their their uniforms on Felicia to head to Buckingham Palace. He takes his leave in his uh, blimp that is powered by uh, fidget biking on the back of it, uh, starts the record that will signal their doom and takes off to go execute his evil scheme. The doctor uh, tries to talk to Basil about what Radigan meant by heading to Buckingham Palace, but Basil's just completely defeated and explains, like, don't you get it, old chap? The queen is in danger and the empire is doomed. It's very melodramatic. <laughs> we all know why you're sad, Basil. It's because your we ex get it. one-upped you in front of your new best friend. Yes. Literally, that's why. You don't care about the <laughs> British monarchy. No one cares about the British monarchy. No. Meanwhile, speaking of the monarchy, the Queen Mouse is getting ready for her diamond jubilee as her guards are replaced outside the door by the rat goons. They deliver a present to her with a note about her reign coming to an end, and inside the box is a mechanical copy of the Queen Mouse, <laughs> which begins to chase her about the room as Radigan appears, and the Queen orders her guards to seize him, but there are his men in disguise. You remember the uniforms? So they take yep. the Queen away instead. Um, <laughs> the scheme is Genuinely in session. Genuinely surprised that this movie did not end in drag. I am so surprised yes. that this movie did not end in drag. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> this giant can mechanical you imagine version. Oh, it would have it been fidget first of all um mm. <laughs> but oh my god it's this this mouse mechanical thing is so scary not gonna lie mm-hmm. it's unsettling the way it twitches oh, yeah. i don't like it anytime like a mechanical like copy of someone shows up in a movie i'm always a little bit like Ooh, i don't know I, something about the idea of like being replaced by a robot is just very frightening well, because it's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of the um is it i am legend where <laughs> no it's uh oh it's the isaac Asimov. describe the movie describe the movie i got will, you will smith is talking to a robot about can a robot like write a symphony <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen that one. Never mind. No, it's based on an Isaac Asimov book, yeah. but it's not at all the same plot. No. iRobot. It's iRobot. It's kind of that. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. knew it was something silly. If a robot could ever podcast, then I'm in danger. I think so far <laughs> I'm in the clear, but it's getting close. Um, oh. But uh, meanwhile, the death trap that Basil and uh, Dawson are in is getting further and further along. The record continues as the doctor tries to talk Basil out of his slump. Uh, it looks like maybe they'll be free for a moment because the record gets stuck, but he just gets mad and it, it begins again, which causes Dawson to get quite upset, giving a rather passionate pep talk that ends with, set it off now, uh, which springs Basil out of his slump as he begins to calculate the exact time that they could set up the mousetrap to escape their doom as it slow the ball slowly rolls down towards them. They manage to hit the trigger for the mousetrap at exactly the right moment to rebound the ball in a different direction, break the mousetrap in half, and fling them both out of harm's way. Uh, they grab Olivia, pose for a photo, for because, of course, <laughs> Radigan had left a camera so that he could have a photo of the moment uh, his rival met his end, and instead they take the moment to <laughs> take a little selfie. <laughs> this is what they meant by queer-coded Disney villain. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> this yes. is kind of the text one of the textbook like I'd say this and Ursula are mm-hmm. like right up there. Really high up that list. <laughs> uh they're on their way to Buckingham Palace now. They've run for Toby and they're back on the case. 
Radigan's uh, copy of the Queen takes the stage at her Diamond Jubilee and gives uh, a speech introducing Radigan as a gifted leader and her new royal consort as Radigan takes the stage in full regalia to the horrified crowd uh, as the real Queen is being dragged to Felicia, who is waiting outside. Tasty snack. Tasty snack. Another mouse for the cat. Um, The detectives uh, manage to... uh, er, Radigan begins to read his list of suggestions, quote-unquote, for new things that the Kingdom of Mice could institute. Uh, As the queen nears the jaws of Felicia, but the detectives pull through at the last second, Basil and Dawson busting in just in time to grab her and uh, send Felicia running uh, as Toby barks and starts chasing the cat, because of course they have a dog. Radigan has a cat. We all know how that's going to go in the hierarchy of animated animals and movies. Yep. <laughs> Radigan goes on and on about how this is his kingdom now, and he has the power to the horrified crowd, with the queen's permission, of course, uh, when suddenly the queen bot turns on him <laughs> and begins yep. to denounce him <clears throat> as Basil has taken over the controls from his from Radigan's goons. He, uh, Radigan wrestles with the queen bot on stage as she eventually falls apart into a pile of gears and such, and Basil eventually, at an appropriately dramatic moment, emerges from behind the curtains in the back of the stage, declare that Radigan is a, nothing but a sewer rat, and order him <sighs> arrested. A <laughs> uh, knife to the heart. Oof. Oh my god. Yeah. The thing that cuts deepest. <laughs> being a rat and not a mouse mm-hmm. <laughs> it worked out well for the rats and rat tattooey so i don't yeah. know why he's so sad i didn't flushed away the other rat movie <laughs> <laughs> i had a friend come on and do a flushed away episode yeah. i feel like i should give them their credit is is an american tale rats or mice i think that's mice so that would be kind of the okay. companion to, to this in many ways uh i, I feel like yeah secret mouse society <laughs> definitely <laughs> Yes, good old Fievel. Um Felicia runs from Toby over a wall straight into the home of the royal guard dogs. Goodbye, Felicia. <laughs> Had a good run in this movie. Uh, Fidget, in the confusion, does grab Olivia and single- signals to Radigan, who makes his escape, threatening her life if they don't stay put and let him flee. Uh, Basil, Dawson, and her father are in pursuit, of course, as Radigan flees in his balloon with Olivia, where she is mocking him relentlessly and pulling on his tail as the detectives and crew rig a balloon from the things laying around them to give chase over the chimneys of London. Um, Eventually, Fidget gets tired of pedaling and requests that they lighten the load, so he gets thrown overboard into the river, uh, shouting about how he can't fly the whole way down... uh, (laughs) it's a quite tragic end yeah Yeah. it makes me think of in um in the rudolph stop motion rankin bass there's the duck who canonically cannot fly (laughs) and the elves just throw him off of santa's sleigh it's (laughs) sad day for flightless beings with Mm. wings this is a very quintessential like disney movie character death too where it's like we can't show you dying so we're going to just sort of have you fall into the fog uh it's not the only one that we'll see in this movie i guess spoiler alert for the next 15 minutes of the podcast (laughs) for for this movie that came out in 1984 yeah (laughs) (laughs) um uh Basil jumps onto Radigan's blimp and they uh, crash into the face of Big Ben, uh, where inside, breaking through the clock face, gears were, and this scene is actually genuinely 
pretty frightening, uh, I think, in the, the way that they've constructed it. Um, Radigan and Basil are facing off on one of the spinning gears, Radigan holding Olivia until she bites him, getting flung out of the way, uh, allowing Basil to kind of stick Radigan's cape into one of the gears that's turning and getting crushed, but he has to rush and save Olivia before she's nearly smushed by one of the other gears. It's a lot of chaos and moving pieces and very dangerous place for mice and a rat to be. Um, yeah, this is the um, other scene that utilizes the 3D um, graphics, the clock gears. Yeah, I think it does pretty back. good effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. It's an intense scene. Mm-hmm. Clutching my pearls. <laughs> it's very spooky. If I watched this as a kid, I could see, like, actually being very afraid of, like, this in the toy shop scene. Like, there's an actual mm-hmm. element of, like, oh, they're in real danger here <laughs> that you oh, don't yeah. often get uh, from, mm-hmm. like, kids' movies. Uh, <laughs> Basil and Olivia rush to the top of the tower with Radigan in close pursuit, and he loses, like, more and more of his, like, fine suit he's been wearing, and he looks more and more like a, like a common sewer rat in the process, which I thought was very cool. He gets, like, all mm-hmm. shaggy. And, oh, it was awesome. Uh, Basil manages to just reach out and hand Olivia to Flaversham and the doctor when Radigan tackles him over the edge of the clock and they begin their fight on one of the clock hands. Uh, Basil getting knocked back and down and eventually over the edge of one of the hands where Radigan, uh, having knocked him off the clock, declares that he's won. But it's not over yet. Basil has grabbed hold below to the wreckage of their blimp and as the clock dings, uh, it sends Radigan plummeting below, but he grabs Basil's legs as he's falling and both of them plummet into the mist yeah. Uh, oh no! Has which is a Reichenbach <laughs> fall reference, which is like, <laughs> which I was actually just realizing that, like, oh my god, that's a Reichenbach fall where Moriarty yeah. and Sherlock both fall instead <laughs> of a waterfall, though it's um you know yeah. it's a, a big Ben, but another Sherlock Holmes Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, they're really you know they do a good job of like putting just a little mm-hmm. sprinkle of the source material in, so if you're looking for it, you can find it. Um, yep. And if you're mourning Basil, who unfortunately has fallen. Worry not, audience. He'll come back in season three, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) He'll come back right now, because he's grabbed the bike part of the blimp, and he's pedaling his way back up to his friends. Uh, Everything is okay after all. Radigan has fallen to his doom, presumably. He's gone. Um, And a newspaper headline reveals that Basil was thanked personally by the queen herself for his service. And back at Baker Street, Olivia and her father thank the doctor and Basil as they're rushing off to catch their trains. Little nice little heartfelt goodbye. They're like, oh, very sweet. We actually did like this little girl after all. Basil tries to be coy about it, but no, you cared about her. It's okay. Um, the doctor then goes to take his leave as it's time he finds a place to live after all. But before he can exit, there's a knock at the door. It's a woman with a new case. Another case is afoot. Uh, and Basil declares that of course he'll help her as he does all of his cases with his good friend, the doctor. Uh, and so begins the story of Holmes and Watson. I'm sorry, uh, Basil and Dawson. <laughs> it's okay. Also, this mouse, it's not the same like sexy mouse that we saw earlier, mm-hmm. but it looks like her. It does. Part of me like... Part of me wants to connect the dots and be like, it's her, it's her. This is how everything's connected. But I know it's not. But she does look like her. And yeah, she has maybe a wonderful one of her can-can hat. dancers, you know? She's got, oh, yes, great hat. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. I do love that little clothes at all of that. I love what Olivia wears. It's one of my it's favorite. So cute. The little tartan skirt and the Peter Pan collar. And then her little hat with the pom-pom. <laughs> it's, it's. I, God, I can't like sew for my life, but I think that's I have to cosplay it. I have yeah, to now. That's what it sounds like. That's <laughs> that's the go-to. Um, mm-hmm. oh, she, she's got just the cutest outfit. 
all the rats in this movie are, are all the mice in this movie I should say are, are dressed very uh, very adorably I did like that um, they didn't shy away from like these are mice but also we're gonna just have them wear like human clothes appropriate yeah. to the era <laughs> it's it's so cute I I love this movie because it just drops so much mouse lore onto you because like these mice have tiny guns I am very curious <laughs> yeah. where these mice got their tiny guns and if the humans are aware that the mice have tiny guns um, I think about it a lot but then like there's probably like a little mice tailor that's making all yeah. of their clothes and there's like a mouse jeweler and you know we have mouse toy makers as well there's mm-hmm. a whole like mouse society under London yeah. that either people British people are willfully ignorant about or they just don't know who could say um and to kind of close out the movie of course Dawson re-enters narration phase and talks about how he and Basil worked many cases together but he always looked back fondly on the first one uh his introduction to Basil of Baker Street the great mouse detective and so ends the movie no <laughs> It's so, I love it. It's so cute. It's so precious. It's also, like I said, the perfect runtime. It's not too long. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think, 68 minutes of your life. It's so nice. It's a nice, easy, like, it's it's an easy watch. You know, you're not going to be sitting there being like, oh, man, I'm so bored. But you're also not going to be sitting there being like, oh, my God, how much longer is this movie? Which is, I was blissfully thankful for. (laughs) Yeah. It ain't Dune. It ain't Dune. I'll tell you that. It ain't Dune. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> I, I refuse to see Dune on principle because of how long I knew it was going to be. I was like, Mm-mm, I no. watched Dune for the first time on an airplane, which I really feel is like the director's intended <laughs> choice of how to see it. Uh, but recently someone did pick it for an episode of the show. So I have I have watched it again. And it is a long movie. Uh, but The Greatest Mouse Detective, not a long movie. In fact, quite no, an enjoyable watch. Uh, to yeah. kind of like bring us home here, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on the movie? Is there maybe a situation you'd recommend our listeners list watch it in? Or um, yeah, just kind of bring us home. I, I would put this in like, if you want to explore the Disney animated canon, mm-hmm. um, kind of beyond like the Disney princess movies, I would put this one there. I would also put The Fox and the Hound there, which I think is, like, objectively a very good movie that is very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's... I don't know if you've, like, rewatched it lately. Like, The Fox and the Hound, spoiler alert, do not become <laughs> friends at the end. Like, they will... They are always enemies, and it's a very, very sad movie that's very beautifully well done, and I think... And it's came around out, I think, bef- after this movie. But, yeah, it's... And I'd say do that and then watch kind of Oliver and Company, which I think is oh, another yes. like delightful, fun <laughs> movie. It has Billy Joel in it as a singing mm-hmm. dog. Um, so I'd say if you want to take a deep dive into like the Disney animated canon, I think those three movies are a very good place to start. They're all wonderfully watchable, maybe with the exception of Fox and the Hound, which is just like really, really sad. Yeah, maybe do like a little marathon, put Fox and the Hound yeah. in the middle so you have your like recovery yeah. movies on either end. <laughs> Exactly. And they're all like relatively short too, which is Mm -hmm. great. But I'd say they're, they're, and of course, like there's always as are like wonderful animated movies that are outside of like the Disney canon. But if you want to explore the Disney canon and go beyond like the princess movies, Mm -hmm. I'd say this is like the 1980s is actually kind of, (laughs) I, in my opinion, one of the best places to start to really find some really fun underrated gems. Absolutely. I think this movie has a lot of uh, kind of, 
classic animated movie charm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's from a period where you still get a... I don't want to call it edgy, because that's not the right word, but there is just like a little hint of of edge to cut into it that you don't get from a lot of modern animated yeah. children's movies that I think makes it more watchable as an adult mm-hmm. and also it adds a little bit of depth to it that you don't often get. Um, exactly. Yeah. And it's um, like, well, let's be real. I, I think we can say it is edgy, and yeah. especially in regards with that tavern scene. I mm-hmm. think um, in all seriousness, this is a edgy kid. I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> the Great Mouse Detective is an edgy kids movie. I, it has an edge, and you'll think, how did they get away with that? <laughs> how did they get away with that? Um, and then, oh, fun fact, this film actually saved the Walt Disney Company. Really? Um, so basically, um, in the late 1970s, early-ish 80s, company was doing really, really bad. And this was before Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg came in. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the products that was um, happening during the time. I forgot if, if it was in pre-production or just straight production. But um, the success of this movie, that and um, Oliver and Company, really, really saved um, oh. the company. Which is so weird because you look at this movie and it's like, it's cute, it's fine. But like, it like the company was in financial ruin after, um, oh, The Black Cauldron. The Black Cauldron oh, was the yes. movie that like tanked disney like yeah no one saw it no one liked it and this movie just like saved the company and it's such a little like small movie and it's so wonderful that's such a small thing like you know saved a multi-billion dollar company so i guess if you're angry at like the capitalism that is walt disney (laughs) you can blame the great mouse detective The Great Mouse Detective is like the domino that someone pushed over years and years ago to get us to like Disney buying up every other smaller company to like dominate exactly. theaters today. This is where it all yep. began. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but it is it's a it's an enjoyable watch. I had it I again didn't watch this as a kid, so this was merely my first experience with it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a nice way to spend an hour and uh I I had a great time. So if you're looking for a one off animated movie or as Madeline suggested, a, a three part uh little marathon. Mm-hmm. Take take that advantage of that. Um, but Madeline, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been delightful. Uh, if our listeners want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Um, thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I feel like like the luckiest person on the planet whenever this stuff <laughs> happens. Um, I'm on TikTok at Inquisitive Rogue. I I I just kind of shit post there. Um, but people like my shit posting. Um, I'm also on Twitter <laughs> at Madeline K Mason. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitch at Madeline the Rogue because I have no brand consistency whatsoever. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm I want to run more one shots for charity. That's my goal. I did Oops All Horse Girls a hot second oh, back, yeah. which was really really fun, and we raised money for Quality Texas. I want to do um, Keeping Up with the Kobolds, like a reality Ooh. TV show so i'm that's like i'm currently planning that and i want to do like a monster high kind of one so if you want to see just some really fun one shots for charity um that's i'm hoping to have more there so yeah um that's tiktok twitter and twitch are the best places to find me awesome and there'll be links to all that in the show notes so definitely go check them out uh i watched some of your wine mom summer streams which were extremely fun on twitch highly recommend uh definitely you know 
Check out Madeline. Check out stuff. Sorry, my cat just woke up. I can hear it it's behind okay. me. It's <laughs> okay. Angel baby. <laughs> Ziggy making her mandatory cameo for the podcast. But thank you, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I suspect we're about to hear a knock at the door for our next mouse-based mystery. Uh, so I'll sign <laughs> off for now. But thank you guys for joining us. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on October 31st. Ooh, spooky with another thrilling installment. But if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below, as well as links to all of my wonderful guest Madeline's content. Be sure to check her out through the links below in the show notes, as well as links to the uh, greater Great Mouse Detective fandom. <laughs> Do a little research for this movie. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good read. I'd like to give a special shout out to all the patrons who joined us in September. Thank you guys for supporting the channel and everything you do to help keep Ziggy in the good cat food. So thank you to Elazar Lopez, Ben, Alice Greenlaw, Anil Mehta, Ebony Voigt, Brennan, Alteca, Gabriel Hernandez, Jax, Catherine, Ellen Davis, KC, An Optimist, 206 Broken Bones, Robert Brock, Brad Burchell, Buteo Astra, Laird Ray, Guy Guy, Auden Landois-Soli, Dominic Noble, Ryan Yoke, Travis Poe, Liron, L. Crucible, Red Scapegoat, J.M., Data Fox, Captain Higgs, Terje Thornquist, Logan Warm, Gabriel Nichols, Defived, Nara Fay, Michael Gorich, Nina Rose, Sage, Malcolm Pope, Ethan the Winter Warlock, Joey Lippert, Zathomir, Dumas, and Victor Bader. Thank you guys for supporting the show and to everyone over on Patreon who's continued to uh, listen and enjoy. I'll catch you on the next episode.